Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I like what uh, the psalmist said in the 38th Psalm in all his troubles and sorrows. In the midst of all that, he says, Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. What a merciful and faithful God we have who condescends to hear our prayers as feeble and weak as they be. Though as a preacher, I'm always humbled when I stand before you to preach the Word of God. There are certain subjects in God's Word that I'm really aware of my inabilities of preaching, and one of them is that of prayer, for I am a like man unto thee, unto you. I know I have infirmities that keep me from praying what I should pray for as I ought. And then yet to stand before you and preach on this divine subject is greatly intimidating. And so I covet your prayers. Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our study in Luke, of course. This is another portion of that. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when thou prayest... Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this portion of Scripture is not in many translations, which is why I like the Texas Receptus of the King James. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For thine, everything that he's instructed us in already concerning prayer, it climaxes into this last few words. And so must our hearts when we pray. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There be few things in the Christian life 
more sacred than that of prayer. Yet few things offer so much comfort, hope, and peace than when we pray. Yet nothing, according to Scripture, made more difficult by our infirmities. For as Romans chapter 8 says, we know not what to pray for as we ought. It's a paradox. It's a mystery that only every true believer understands. They, they love to pray. And yet every time they do, they feel this inability to pray for what we ought to pray for. God has done a work of grace in our hearts that we might long for communion with God in prayer. And yet every time we enter into prayer and seek the presence of God in praying, our infirmities accompany us and sometimes make it very difficult. Pray, we must. Not out of obligation or constraint or merit, but by a working of grace wrought within our hearts and the Spirit of God helping our infirmities, we're enabled to cry out to God. You hear that echoed throughout the Psalms. Not like the hypocrites to be seen of men, nor like the heathen do we use vain repetitions, hoping that we shall be heard for our much speaking, but by divine working of grace and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we pray to our Father which art in heaven. For behold, he prayeth, was Christ's testimony of the newly converted Paul as he instructed Ananias to seek Paul out. He didn't say, I want you to find Paul because he's preaching or that he's teaching, but he said, I want you to find Paul, the newly converted Paul, and when you find him, behold, he prayeth. You see, as a Pharisee, surely Paul prayed, and that often. Yet like the hypocrite, he prayed to be seen of men, yet now Christ would have us to behold, he prayeth, not to be seen or heard of men, but to be seen and heard of God. Beloved, only the true believer understands that inward desire to pray because it's a working of grace wrought in our hearts at salvation. The hypocrite knows nothing of that. He doesn't pray always, as we'll see in a few moments. He doesn't desire to pray. But the true child of God has this desire to pray which God has imparted into his heart when he saved his soul. Behold, he prayeth. Not as a Pharisee or as a hypocrite. Not to be seen of men, but to be seen and heard of God. 
as difficult as it is because of our infirmities to rightly pray for what we ought to pray for, beloved, the desire to pray without ceasing and to always pray being a divine work of grace is always evident and present in the true believer. Our infirmities, though they make it difficult, do not hinder us from seeking God in prayer. For God has worked a work of grace in our hearts and given us the desire to pray in spite of our infirmities. And though, listen to me, Dearly beloved, and though there might even be seasons when we neglect or forsake praying, and there are, because of the working of grace in our hearts and the Spirit helping our infirmities, God will revive a spirit of praying within us. Because even prayer has its roots in divine grace and not merit. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this is the difference between a hypocrite and a true believer. A hypocrite, as we'll see in a few minutes with Job, will not always seek after God, will not always ask after God, will not continue to seek God. But because God has imparted into our hearts this divine work of grace, dearly beloved, even when there are seasons when we neglect prayer for whatever reason it might be, even when we lack in praying, even when those seasons are long, God will providentially bring us back to pray. To Ephraim, who sinned greatly against God, God declared, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. Have you ever considered, and listen to me closely, have you ever considered the significance a persevering prayer in the light of the saints' perseverance. Have you not seen, and I'm sure you have, or experienced how in the midst of our deepest and darkest hour, the Spirit of God helps our infirmities by awaking and reviving in our hearts a spirit to pray? It's a sovereign work of God. It's not merited. It's not earned. We don't work for it. It's something that God does sovereignly in our hearts. We will not always pray as we ought to pray. Yet because we are of God and He is giving us that divine spirit, the divine working of grace in our hearts when we do wander from prayer, and we do, when we do lack praying, God will providentially move in our lives to bring our hearts back to prayer. Because prayer has its roots in grace. I'm telling you that from over 40 years experience. And sometimes, dearly beloved, we do find ourselves in a wilderness of silence, absence of prayer. And when that happens, God is faithful in spite of ourselves. 
will providentially intervene in our lives to bring us back to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Uh, it's part of the perseverance of the saints by God preserving them. I have seen in my lifetime a sore travail amongst men who once believed themselves to be Christians, yet have been crushed by the stormy winds and waves of persecutions and afflictions never to recover because they knew not how to pray. The Spirit of God not helping their infirmities because they were not of God. Oh, when the winds and waves come by God's divine providence and we feel like we're about to be crushed by the rocks of persecutions and trials and afflictions like Jonah in the belly of the well, we cry out to God. We cry out to God. Oh, thank God for this virtue of grace, of prayer. But the hypocrite, Job says, what is the hope of the hypocrite though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul? Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? He won't. Yet for the true believer, psalmist said in Psalm 50 verse 15, and call upon me, the Lord said, in the day of trouble. You see, will he always call upon him? Uh, Job asked, will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? But for the believer, God says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Personal testimony of that verse of scripture God gave me 36 years ago as I was standing on a hilltop in the black forest in Germany on a cloudy windy day when the trees were blowing God gave me that promise to call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me and I have seen for 36 years how God has brought that promise to pass many times you see prayer is a gift of God just like faith is And our Father will not let it wither and die in spite of ourselves. Isn't that amazing comfort? There has been imparted into the heart of every true believer by the grace of God a true desire and longing to pray. And though our infirmities make it difficult for us to know what to pray for as we ought, by the aid of the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf, we pray, and that without ceasing and always. When ye pray, not only a commandment, but a fact. Christ is saying, my people pray. Because it's not of their own, it's of God. When you pray, say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory not forever one word, but forever. Christ says, Amen. Let it be. Beloved, with these closing words of Christ's instruction on prayer, I want you to see that 
It is to this divine climax, this divine pinnacle, listen to me, that all true prayer must culminate and carry the petitioner humbly before God. This is the end of all prayer. No matter what we pray for, if we pray for forgiveness of sins, our daily bread, we're praying that His kingdom come, His will be done on earth, Christ will show us in these closing instructions, this is the climax, this is the divine pinnacle of all true prayer. To this, every petitioner must be humbly brought to acknowledge and recognize. Regardless of what happens in this present life, it's for Thy kingdom and Thy power and thy glory alone forever. Amen. It is for God's glory and not for mine. We are so selfish in our prayers and in our living for Christ. We seek not the glory of God. We seek our own. And Christ would say, no, all true prayer will lead you to this conclusion. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, and thine is the glory forever. Amen. Accompanying words for the child of God. For all true prayer, as in everything concerning our Christian life, it is ultimately God's honor and glory in everything that we long, that we desire, that we seek. It fills everything that we want. So Christ would teach us in these closing words, how our prayers should climax and to what point our prayers should lead our hearts and our minds. Four, in all, in light of all these things, he's instructed us in already. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. which is and shall remain forever. It's amazing how he says, thine is the kingdom. Not the kingdom is thine. For thine is the kingdom. Allow me the liberty this morning to concentrate in light of us taking the Lord's Supper to look at these last instructions on prayer in an intimate and personal way for the believer. I know when he says, for thine is the kingdom, he's speaking that of all kingdoms of men, God is the greatest kingdom. You can read that in Daniel. You can read that in First Chronicles. And I hope and pray that we all understand that, that there's no kingdom above God's kingdom. But I want this morning, just for a few minutes before we partake of the Lord's Supper, to look at these exhortations in prayer concerning our intimate relationship with God. And so, because I believe that's what our Lord is really impressing here, because he says in the beginning, when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door. And pray to your Father in secret. And oh, we could spend a lot of time on that one. It's not how we pray in public, it's how we pray in private. How often do we forsake that spiritual closet in time with God in prayer? We wonder why we lack comfort and encouragement and strength and communion with God. Maybe it's because we're not visiting our spiritual closet as much as we should and praying in the light of Christ's instructions. 
In his first instructions on prayer, Christ would have us to pray to our Heavenly Father, whose name is to be hallowed, that his kingdom come and that his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. To this end, Christ exhorts us to pray as we walk amongst men. Pray that his kingdom come, that his will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Yet like all things concerning God, he would instruct us that all true prayer must ultimately resign ourselves to the sovereignty and the power and the glory of God, which is forever. So though he says this should be our prayer as we walk amongst men, when you pray, never forget that regardless of what happens, regardless of what happens in this present life, regardless of what goes on in this present life, let it lead you to this conclusion, to this climax. Regardless of what happens, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It doesn't ultimately matter. Listen to me. No matter what happens, it doesn't ultimately matter unless we pray and submit ourselves to this climax in prayer. For thine is the kingdom. We pray it come. We pray the gospel goes out in power. We pray the kingdom come and work with inside of us. We pray the gospel in this present life goes out and spread. But no matter what happens, no matter if they submit themselves to your will or not, no matter what happens, this is the conclusion, all of it. Yours is still the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. It's almost like the verse in Peter for... As the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men slack, uh, count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, Second Peter 3, 9 and 10. That's what the Lord's promise is. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But immediately after that, Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And so we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the conclusion of that prayer is, but it doesn't matter what happens. It, what ultimately matters is that it's your kingdom, your power, your glory forever. Amen. Yes, we pray for that, but we know this is what the ultimate climax is. We spend way too much time in our Christian life, especially in prayer, chained or fettered to the affairs and cares of the world. And Christ says, no, you've got to go beyond that. Yes, we pray for these things to happen. Yes, we pray for daily bread. Yes, God encourages us to. Yes, we ask God to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Yes, we pray for that. We pray that God do all these things. Yet the ultimate desire and goal of our prayers as well as everything we long for as Christians is ultimately God's glory in all things. And it will be, for it's His kingdom, His power, and His glory. We are encouraged in Scripture to pray always and without ceasing, to make our request made known unto God, to cast our cares upon Him, for He careth for us. To pour out our hearts before Him. We are encouraged to do all of these things in prayer. 
We lay our burdens before the Lord. We cast our cares before the Lord. We acknowledge, we, we, we make all our requests made known unto God. Whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Christ even puts a sovereignty on prayer. Whatsoever things. And we are to pray for these things. We are to pray for all of these things. God encourages us to. But the ultimate climax, the ultimate goal in all of that is to honor and glorify God, regardless of the outcome in this present life. This is something that we miss very much so in praying, and even in our Christian lives. Like I said, we're too fettered, we're too chained, we're too, uh, we're too hooked to this world. And the present affairs of life. We're not looking into the things of eternity. That's why Christ would close these instructions with this. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And seals it with amen. <clears throat> why do you think Job, even in the midst of all his trials and afflictions, what do you think Job says? It doesn't matter what happens to his body or flesh. Yet, yeah, shall I see God for myself and none other? I look to the right and to the left. I look front and back, and I, I try to define his providence. I try to figure out what, what he's doing. I search the word of God. I search my heart, and I cannot figure out, I cannot figure out God. What does Job do? He submits himself to God. He said, but God knoweth the way that I take. He's not merely submitting to that. He's acknowledging that. He knows the way that I take. And when he is finished, I shall come forth as gold. doesn't matter. I can't figure it out. That's not what it's about. Because it's all about God. When we, by prayer, and beloved, I believe there's a lot of things we don't receive from God because we don't pray. I, I'm, I'm telling you, I believe there's a lot of things that we lack in our Christian life because we do not pray. All right, we do not pray. Prayer, there's a power, there's a sovereignty in, the, in, in prayer. Like I said, Christ said it himself. All things whatsoever, that's sovereign, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Christ himself put a sovereignty on it and says, I'm opening it up. I'm, it's, it's limitless. And when we pray and we seek God's wisdom and grace and guidance and strength in this present life, whatever it might be, we ask God for guidance, for strength, for comfort. <clears throat> Yet the ultimate goal ends here. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power, or the power and glory forever. That's my ultimate desire. That's my ultimate goal. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. You see how Christ would have us? He, he begins these instructions in heaven. Our heavenly Father, pray ye thus, 
our Father which art in heaven. He begins us in heaven. He brings it down to daily bread. And then he says, don't stay down here. Don't dwell down here. Bring it back up here. And this is the ultimate goal of everything in your life and of all prayer, that God's kingdom and power and glory be praised. There is, dearly beloved, within these words, the greatest comfort and encouragement. You know why? Paul meant when he said, when he said, these light afflictions are for but a moment, for they help us to take our eyes off those things that are seen and place them or put them on things that cannot be seen, for those things that cannot be seen are eternal. So, Christ would say, yes, we pray for the coming of his kingdom. We pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for our daily needs. We pray for forgiveness of sins. But ultimately, this is what we desire. Ultimately, this is it. This is what we desire. Thy kingdom, thy power, thy glory forever. And I believe our Lord would have us to understand that these words, as well as many things in our Christian life, we cannot obtain without prayer. That's why I said earlier, <coughs> I believe we lack a lot of things, and the Word of God says that. You have not because you ask not. I believe a lot of things we lack in our Christian life because we don't pray as we ought to pray. And when we pray these things before God, they drive these truths more deeper with inside of our hearts and our affections. There is a sovereignty to prayer. But what I'm telling you, I believe what uh, John Gill said, he said, when you pray, all your prayers should echo the word of God because nothing glorifies God more than his own word. So let it not be the echoes of our own vain ambitions and desires and fleshly ones. Oh, but let your prayers be filled with the word of God that God may be glorified. And as you do that, prayer sovereignly drives them troops deeper with inside of your hearts. And they begin to influence our entire being so that we too can say no matter what happens, no matter what God has divinely ordained for my life in this present world, no matter what lots He has laid upon me, it is my ultimate desire and longing to see my God glorified. No matter what may occur, be it in heaven or upon earth, no matter what circumstances and situations of this present life, no matter how difficult or trying our times may be, no matter how severe the trials and afflictions, these instructions of Christ on prayer teach us we must come before the throne of grace with this humble petition. No matter what happens, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I like how the Lord put that word. Amen. Let it be. So it is. It's established. Let it be. 
So, dearly beloved, in all our praying, in all our petitions we bring before God, and again, I want to encourage that. We are encouraged to bring before the Lord all our burdens and cares. He wants us to pour our hearts out before him. He wants us to acknowledge him, to worry about nothing, be careful for nothing, but by prayer and supplication that all your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. God wants us to do that. God wants us to pray in such a manner. But in all that praying, in all that seeking God, this is what the climax of everything we pray for should come to. This is where the wings of prayer should take us, all the way before the throne of God, so that we can say, no matter what happens, no matter what my lot might be, God, it's your kingdom, your power, and your glory which I seek in everything. And that's forever. Psalms 31.15, and I'll close with this, says, My times are in thy hand. My times. What times? All times. There's a time to be born, a time to die. You know, all those in Ecclesiastes 3, the psalmist says, My times are in all times. Good times, bad times. Pleasant times, horrific times. Times of affliction, times of sorrow, times of happiness, times of pain and grief. All times. All my times. My times. Where are my times? In my hand? No. In my control? No. The psalmist says, no, they're in your hand. What does that tell me? They're in the hands of my loving Father. Who will cause his child no tears unnecessary. And if it be tears, the psalmist says, he'll put them in a bottle. Oh, beloved, do you understand how prayer is truly a gift of God? And no matter if we might neglect it for sinful reasons or just simple laziness, God will sovereignly, providentially bring us to a place in life and cause us to cry out to God. Prayer is a gift of God, just as faith is. And though we think it's been withered and dead, God can revive it, and he will. They will seek me early in their afflictions. We have such a wonderful, glorious God. Even the psalmist said, Lord, seek your shepherd which has gone astray. true child of God loves to pray. And though we might not be masters of it, for who is? And sometimes we neglect it, if not more than often. There's something God imparted in our hearts and our lives as Christians that give us a longing to pray and to seek His faith. And when we neglect that virtue, the Spirit of God will help our infirmities and bring us to the throne of grace in time of Eid. You see, it's not of us, not of us, O oh Lord, but under the name be glory and honor. Not in us. God is a gracious God. And I'm telling you from 40 years' experience, and I've been through many wildernesses, times of not praying, of neglecting it, not praying as I ought. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God never left me to myself but in some form or fashion, be it a trial, a tragic thing in life, 
be it something out of the ordinary. God always did something to lead me back to pray. We don't use that for an excuse to be lazy or slothful. We use it actually to praise and glorify God that we might continue constantly in prayer. Men ought always to pray and not faint. When you pray, for Christ said, my people pray. Not of themselves, but of God. When you pray, say, the climax of all prayer. When you pray, say, for thine is the kingdom power, glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now, Lord, for thy word, and we ask you now, Father, that the Spirit of God would continue to help our infirmities, for we know not what we ought to pray for as we should. Lord, we pray that these instructions that you've given us, Lord, would help us as we pray. Help us, Lord God, to take the instructions of Christ to heart. Lord, to enter into our closet, to shut the door, and to pray to our Father in secret. May we long and desire for that secret communion with God so that we might lose ourselves in the light of His glorious grace. And Lord, that we might, as Christ encourages us, whatever happens, we might be able to say with a true heart, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, we ask these things now and ask that you bless, Lord, as we approach thy table. May we remember thee until you come again to establish your eternal kingdom. Father, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.